Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking tonight a little bit about cleansing the temple. We talked about judging ourselves last week, but tonight it's a little bit about cleansing the temple. So in the book of Matthew's gospel, chapter 21, look at verse 12. Jesus went, this is the second time he did this, into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple. And overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my father's house shall be called a house, the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came in in the temple and he healed them. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple, and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. How awful is that? And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. What a lesson Jesus taught them. Second time he did this, he cleansed the temple when he first came and started his public ministry. Then he cleansed it once again the second time. Just before he left, I think he likes a clean temple. What about you? I think he does. Matter of fact, I know that he does. And so that's why he was more concerned about the temple than they were at that particular time. But this was after his return to Jerusalem. He goes in and he drives out the money changers and so on. If you have any understanding of the tabernacle in the wilderness and also Solomon's temple, you know, with the different compartments. You had the holiest place of all. You had the holy place. Then you had the court of the Israelites. Then you had the court of the women. Then you had the court of the Gentiles. It was in that place of the court of the Gentiles that Jesus went in there. And basically, he just turned things over and started cleansing the temple. Why? Because he wasn't pleased with what was going on in that place. So he... Unlike the others, you see the others, they were taking care of their household, they're cleaning their houses to celebrate the Passover and all that. But Jesus was concerned about the house of God, his father's house, as he said. He was more concerned about that being cleansed than anything else. So he began to do what he did. He understood that the temple symbolized the presence of God. That's where the presence of God was right there among the people. He knew it was a place where the God, power of God was in display and should be demonstrated. He knew where they were protected by the hand of God there. It was a holy place, a set-apart place. I mean, imagine it. Of all the places of the world, right there in Jerusalem, right there on Mount Moriah, you have the holiest place of all, the Holy of Holies. 
And that's where the Shekinah glory of God was in manifestation. And the people could go there, but they had to stay away, of course. From a distance, they could be there, but they couldn't get near the Holy of Holies. Jesus knew that that place represented the redemptive work of God, the atonement, and the list goes on and on. And while he's thinking along these lines, these people, what are they doing? Extorting people to get rich. Right there in that court of the Gentile, they set up all their displays. It was almost like a flea market. See, they knew that people would travel from afar, from a long distance to get there. So it would be difficult for them. Now imagine, two million people. It would be difficult for them to bring their animal, to bring their sacrifice, all the distance that they went, that they had to travel to, to bring it there and offer it up. So what they would do, they would buy maybe a dove there or, or a lamb there or sheep, whatever. And then they would have it sacrificed. Also, the fact that it could have been if theirs was flawed, then they did it to no avail anyhow because it wouldn't be accepted. So there they are, buying and selling and, and that sort of thing. They were being extorted. They were being charged, in some cases, 50 times more than what they should have paid for it. For example, if you could buy a pigeon outside for a buck, they charged you 50 when you got inside there. Jesus didn't like that. So he goes in there. He says, you turned my father's house into a den of thieves. I can't take this. He turned over the table to money changers, and he made his a public display. He showed them all. This is not what this is about. Well, that was the temple on earth then, back then. But you know, we are the temple today. Amen. We individually and we collectively are the temple of the living God today. I say that and you kind of wonder, does it really register in our hearts? Does it register in our minds does it register in the depth of our souls that we are the temple of the living God collectively and individually? And just as he cleansed the temple back then, he also is concerned about cleansing the temple today. So I was kind of thinking we could all come here tonight and just take a bloodbath. Is that okay? Because that's the only thing that's going to cleanse us. You know, another dip in the blood. Amen. Thank God for the blood. Collectively and individually as a church body, you know, we are the temple of the Most High God. Now, the temple was supposed to be used for what purpose? To glorify God, to meet with God, to pray, to worship, to celebrate uh, the feast days and so on and so forth. And if the temple wasn't used properly for its proper use, then it needed cleanse, like Jesus did. Well, the same thing can be true in our lives as well. This is the temple of the Most High God. This is the temple of the Most High God, individually and collectively. And this temple is to be used to the honor and glory of God. In other words, here we are, we collect ourselves together, we come together, we create a habitation for God in the midst of us. Why? So He can manifest Himself so that we can honor Him, so that we can glorify Him, so that we can pray, so that we can uh, lay hands on the sick and have them recover, get people filled with the Holy Ghost and power. In other words, we are carrying out the purpose, the plan, and the will of God as a corporate body of believers here, where we can educate people to grow in the things of God, develop in the things of God, take their place as a productive fruit-bearing branch in the vine, 
and use the gifts or the talents and the abilities that God has given them to advance his kingdom here upon the earth. So we can reach beyond these four walls into the highways and byways of life and get people that are out there into the family of God so that God can use us in a powerful and mighty way as he wants to because you see his longing desire is to have a family and he wants a big one. He wants a big family. He's not one stopping at eight or 12 or anything like that. I mean, he just, it just goes on and on. It's an endless amount of people that he wants in his family. He wants not one person to be lost, but all, all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So as an individual, I'm to live my life as the temple of God for specific reasons. But before we even get to that, as a collective body of believers, in the book of Revelation, Jesus talked about seven churches which really, if you think about it, they could be called seven temples of God on the earth. And he pointed out some things that they were doing correctly. He pointed out some things that they were not doing correctly. And what he did was basically gave them an opportunity to cleanse the temple through repentance. Uh, for example, you take the church of Ephesus. You see this in Revelation chapter 2. And the church there, they were known for supposedly uh, doctrinal integrity and truth and they exalted it to a high place. And also, they believed in love. But at one point, Jesus said, you have forsaken your love. You've lost your first love. In other words, you still believe in the integrity of the word and you proclaim truth. But now love is not the motivating force behind it. Be it your love for God or your love for people is not the motivating force behind it. So you see, you can have truth... And you can exalt truth, but if it's not backed by love, if it's not working by love, he said, uh-uh, that doesn't cut it. But then you can have love, but if your doctrine is off, if the truth is wrong, that doesn't cut it. So he told this church, you've got to repent. You've got to get back to what you lost and get it all together. Get the truth and speak it in love so people can grow in the things of God. So he was concerned about that truth. And even though they had some good qualities, he judged them and gave them an opportunity to cleanse the temple through repentance. He said, so now repent and do it my way. Isn't that something that he wants to be the one to tell us how to do it? What gives him that right? I think we all know the answer to that question. He made us and not we ourselves. He died for us, right? Then you get that second church. In the church, there is Smyrna. And this church, he praised them for their spiritual wealth, even though they were financially poor. But he praised them, even though they were financially poor, that they were wealthy spiritually. He lifted them up. And he had no fault with them whatsoever, found no fault with them. But he did say this, hold fast. Because you see, you're going to go through a lot of difficulty and challenges in your lives. They were situated in a place where they were persecuted a lot. He knew some of them would be placed in jail and some of them were going to die for their faith. So as far as this church was concerned, they were cleansed and they were walking in the truth. And so thank God that they were pure and their hearts were pure. There were no faults whatsoever that he could identify with them. Now, if you think about it, wouldn't you want to be a part of that kind of a church? A church that's pure, a church that has right motives, a church that just says, I find no, Jesus says, I find no fault in you whatsoever. He said, look, some of you will die martyrs' death. So his encouragement to them was, hold fast, all the way to the end. 
You know why? Because what you suffer now on this earth can compare to the eternal bliss you're going to have throughout the ages. So that's his message to them. Now the third church, and that is Pergamus. He praised them for upholding the faith in the midst of all kinds of challenges that they were facing. And so he, you could say praise him for that. Even though there were a lot of influences around them that would pull them away from the things of God. But then he went and he faulted them for following false teachings. You see, you could be strong on this end, but weak on that end. So they held fast, even though they were challenged by a lot of things that were going on around them. But false teachings began to infiltrate the church. And when that took place, he said he was upset with that and displeased with that, that they were actually bowing down to that. He said, so look, you need to repent and get it right. Don't conform to the ways of the world like these people are leading you. And what they were doing is leading them into immoralities. There were some teachings that were going around that would lead them into immorality and, and, and such. So he says, look, get it right. You know, you could be cleansed. If you recall John, 1 John 1, 9, that says to us, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us. Hallelujah. You know what that means? There was a waterfalls of the blood of Jesus. And when people walk in the light, there is a continuous cleansing by the blood of Jesus, making the temple holy. Thank God for that in all of our lives for the blood of Jesus. So if we walk in the light, there's continuous cleansing. If we miss the mark, we confess our sin, and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So there's no guilt. There's no condemnation here. He just says, hey, you're, I know your, your stature. I know who you are. I know the flesh. I know how weak it is. If you fall, if you miss the mark, don't condemn yourself. Go to the fountain of blood and get cleansed. Hallelujah. Have you been there? The rest of you, where do you go? Have you been there? Are you grateful for the blood of Jesus? Oh, hallelujah. Now, the church at Thyatira, he praised them for their growth in their faith and their Christian service. And they were very, very up on their Christian service. But he faulted them for their devotion to a false prophet. They were listening to a false prophet. You know, and... and what some people do, they get caught up in this kind of thing. And the false prophet was leading them astray down a different path. You know, if you're going to follow a prophet, make sure it's line upon line, precept upon precept, and everything that is spoken and said lines up with the Word of God. And make certain that what they pro prophesy, or if they pr make a prediction of the future, that it comes to pass. Because if it does not come to pass, don't follow it. A false prophet. Well, that's what they were doing. And when that happens, people exalt that above the word of God. We have a more sure word of prophecy. It's right here in God's holy written word. So they were following a false prophet. And he said, look, don't do that. So the lesson that we learned there is the fact that we need to avoid false teachers, false prophets, cult leaders or whatever that try to infiltrate the minds of God's people. Because sometimes people just want to be more emotional than they want to be biblical. 
it's easy to become more emotional and satisfy our emotional desires and needs than, than it is to follow the teaching of God's word. Or we want something beyond, you know, what maybe what we're experiencing. Don't be vulnerable like that. Make sure you pull out your Bible. Someone prophesies something, they call themselves to be a prophet. Pull out your Bible and make sure it's line upon line, precept upon precept. It lines up with the word of God and then you can follow it. If you don't understand it, put it on a shelf and ask the, God, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you to show you whether or not it's for you. Well, he told them, look, you just got to stop doing that. You got to repent so you could be cleansed. The next one is Sardis. There was no praise for them at all. He faulted them for being spiritually dead. Imagine that. They thought they were alive. He said they're spiritually dead. He said, you think you're alive just because you're going through the motions of church, but you are spiritually dead. He had no praise for them whatsoever. And said, now notice this, he said, repent. You see, as far as I believe the Bible teaches this, mercy precedes judgment. Mercy precedes judgment. If God's people will take heed to what he's saying and they would repent, then there wouldn't be judgment. Amen. But if they don't repent, then there's going to be judgment. So he would rather show mercy than to judge people. So no matter who we are, he always gives us opportunity. I'll tell you what, that's something to shout about. He will give us an opportunity to make it right. It's only when people rebel and refuse to make it right, refusing to humble themselves to do it God's way, that's when judgment falls. So God wants cleansed temples that says, if I've got to cleanse myself from pride, arrogance, whatever it might be, uh, it could be immorality, it could be Fear, worry, anxiety, bitterness, unforgiveness, etc., etc. He wants cleansed temples. And if that one thing stands in the way, then get rid of it. Repent. And just humble yourself and just say, I want what you want, Lord. Even as a church body, once again, that's what he told these people. And what the, well, some of them at some point did, but you know what? I don't think any of these churches are in existence anymore. So think about it. Then you've got the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia he had nothing but praise for. Didn't fault them for anything. They were following closely uh, to the Lord. Their faithfulness was pointed out. They walked in faith. They walked in faithfulness and everything. So you got two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, that he did not in any way criticize. But he said, look, stay what you do what you're doing and do, continue doing it. And then we have that last Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, who he said, if you don't get it right, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now, imagine how distasteful it was to Jesus to deal with people that he saw that way. I mean, think about it. No praise for them. He scolded them for allowing economic prosperity to overcome them in such a way so as to think that they were better than anybody else. So even though they were prosperous financially, they were not prosperous spiritually. Spiritually, they were lukewarm, and he was not happy. They were given over to spiritual bankruptcy. They were given over to spiritual complacency. And they, once again, replaced serving God faithfully from the heart that was on fire for him, thinking that because we're prosperous, that's all that matters. 
how many of you know that when you own the cattle on a thousand hill, the silver and gold, that none of that impresses Jesus? It doesn't matter how wealthy a person is. What matters is how spiritually wealthy they are. So he tells his church, you got you to repent. You got to get it right. You got to put first things first. You can't become complacent. You're going through the motions, and that's all there is to it. You've got a mechanical relationship, and that's you, lukewarm. And you know what? I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. But I'm going to give you a chance to take a bath in my blood. I will give you a chance to wash in my blood. Now, seven churches, two of them he pointed out and said, in those two churches, you're doing it right. Five of them, he said, I've got some things against you. So let's get it right. Make certain that you cleanse yourself from these things. The one of pride and one of arrogance, a lack of humility. Uh, the one thinking that economic, financial uh, a position makes you holy or something like that. He said, no, that's not what it's about. It's about inviting me, what I want among you. And you know what? Think about it. What would Jesus say today to the church? Did you ever ask yourself that question? What would he say today to the church? Is the church doing its own thing? Running on its own abilities? Is the church just functioning as it wants to? Or is the church really coming together, inviting the presence of God, inviting the glory of God, and doing exactly what he said about speaking the truth in love, about loving him with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength? And what about loving one another as I have loved you? He raised the bar as far as love one another, love one another, like in the Old Testament, love God, but then love one another as you love yourself. He raised that bar. And said, no, that's not enough. Love one another as I have loved you. That's what I want to see among you. That there would be this fervent, hot, heated love that you have one for another. And that you would walk in that love, that you would prefer others above yourself. So what he's saying is, I want a group of people to come together, not just in unity and harmony, but people that truly have a desire to love one another as he loved us. That they would lay down their lives for one another, as First John says. Yeah, John 3.16 says he, he laid down his life for us. But in 1 John 3.16, he says we owe it to him to lay down our lives for one another. So we have to ask ourselves the question, do we see each other that way in that same light, with that same understanding that each of us is the temple of God? Every single one of us, God lives on the inside of us. Um, I'm not going to take time to get through all this individual thing. Maybe we'll do it next week. I don't know, whatever is in my heart to do. But, but here's what he said. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the living God, that you have a God and you are not your own. This body belongs to God. Your body belongs to God. Uh, Paul, put up that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, beginning at verse 9, I think, to the end, through 20. And this is from the New Living Translation. And let me just preface it by say, saying this. These are the words of our Creator. These are the words of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not my words. These are not the words of, of some intellectual, not some critical individual. These are the words of the living God that have been sent out to all of us, no matter who we are. 
Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I am allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord. And the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power. Just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one. But the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run. What an admonition. Run from sexual sin. Every other sin so clearly affects the body as, one, as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body, which is the temple of God. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. That is a mouthful, wouldn't you say? I appreciate your enthusiasm tonight, but I'm telling you, that is a mouthful. Our culture needs to hear preaching like this. From the pulpit, we need to make it plain and clear. Who wants to spend an eternity in a lake of fire? Anybody want to spend an eternity in the lake of fire? Who should want to do that? You know, we talk about these issues of today. You know, we talk about crazy things happening. Right over here in Manaka, someone gets killed, just, just shot, and then the police officer kills a, a guy trying to help. You know, you talk about things like that. Shootings in schools, et cetera, et cetera. You talk about abortion. And, and, and we act like as if it's a woman's right because it's her body. But the baby's body doesn't mean anything. Who made a, a woman or anybody else God? Anyone? It's time to cleanse the church by cleansing the way people think. God himself said, Jeremiah, I knew you before your mother's womb. And when you enter that womb, your life in the flesh began. He prepared a body for Jesus in the womb of Mary. And when Jesus, the Son of God, entered into that womb, you're going to tell me he didn't exist? He existed. So, the baby's body is the baby's body. And besides, did you notice the scriptures? And you know what? This is sad to say. It's sad to say, and I'm going to meddle. Christians don't 
vote their biblical principles or they have no regard for human life. And it's wrong. Vote your Christian principles. Jesus came to die for human life. Not to make somebody rich. I'm glad if you, hey, if you won the two, million, two billion dollars, I'm happy for you. It will not take you far into eternity. I guarantee you that. It doesn't matter how much you have. You didn't bring it in. You're not going to have it when you go. No matter how you win it, no matter how you get it. But your body has been bought with blood. Your body's been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you are not your own. So when you say, I'm my own, no, you're not. I said, no, you're not. Your body belongs to God. Jesus paid for it with his blood. So he says, what you do with it concerns me. I don't want it defiled. 1 Corinthians 3.17 tells us what? If any man defile the temple of God, him will God destroy. Think about that. Think about that language. Now, I'm not preaching this for guilt and condemnation purposes. I'm preaching it for a spiritual awakening for everybody. It's time we get back and walk with God. It's time we let God be God. Stop playing church and get right with God and let God be God. Let him dictate to us what is right and what is wrong. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witnesses. Still same laws of God today as they were back in the Old Testament. Right? So this temple of God is not to be used to promote my cause, but it's to be used to promote what God wants. And there's nothing more than he wants than a family. He wants a family. He doesn't want us defiling our, his temple, his dwelling place. You see, we say we want glory. If we want glory, get out the whatever you use to cleanse the temple. Because he's going to dwell in a place that's holy. How do you get holy? By the blood of the Lamb. He loved you and washed you from your sin in his own blood. You see, is there a revelation of that? A revelation of he came in to your spirit, he gave you a brand new spirit, and washed you clean in his own blood. You know what that means? I belong to him. This body is his temple. You know, in the book of 2 Chronicles, we are told who's going to build a house for God to live in. Who can house the God of creation who made heaven and earth and sea and all that in them is. There's no place that you can build on this earth that can house me. I'm the living God. But you know what? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 18, 16 through 18, it says, what relationship does the temple have, of God have with idols? You are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will dwell in you. I will live in you. I will be your God and you will be my people. God wants us to become God inside minded. People say, I can't get delivered from this. I can't get delivered from that. You need Jesus on the inside. We need Jesus on the inside. Because if you're trying to do it in your own strength, you can't do it in your own strength. But Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But in me, you can do all things. Did he not say, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might? 
God wants us to rise up to a place that we start recognizing that who we are is the temple of the living God. We are the dwelling place of God. No, no place can house him, but he built one that can. As far as he was concerned, he said, tear that temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. But the temple he's talking about is the temple of your body, of my body. Praise God. We are the temple of the Most High God. We are the dwelling place of the Most High God. And it concerns me if God is not inhabiting his house. Don't you want him to live in his house? Is this not his house? I want him to show up every time we gather together. I want him to be so pleased every time we gather together. He shows up and says, I like this place. I want him to come in with that big old broom of his and just clean this place silly. Clean it up. Bathe us in the blood that he shed, praise God, and get us on the right track. Get us walking with him. Get us doing his will. And you know what? Our minds are not to be renewed to the ways of the world. Our minds are to be renewed to the ways of Almighty God. And he says, this is the way, walk ye in it. Don't go to the left and don't go to the right. This is the way, walk ye in it, praise God. It's God in you, working out his good pleasure and his good will. Amen. God is in us. So work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I know, praise God, that sometimes it's hard to hear things like this. But it's time to wake up. Judgment begins at the house of God. It's time to realize it's, you can just say, I can do what I want to do the way I want to do it. I'll vote forever I want. You can. You can do all that. But you know what? One day we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll say, why in the world did you support that? Why in the world did you support this? I told you what I want. I reveal to you what I want. And so it's time to say, I want what you want. I want to stand for what you stand for, Lord. So here I am. Take me, cleanse me, purify this mind of mine so I can think the way you want me to think. I want to think the way you want me to think. Praise God. And you know how he wants us to think? Humble. He wants us to, shine. He wants us to look at ourselves in the mirror and just say, you know what? Without you, Lord, I can do nothing. I get on my face here today and say, without you, I am nothing, have nothing, know nothing. I can do not one thing. I'm tired of trying to navigate through life with my own ideas or thoughts. It's time to rise up. Because why? He's coming. For a church without spot and without wrinkle. It's time to say we humble ourselves before you, Lord. You know what? Before we walk out of this place, can we gather right here around this altar? Can we just come real quick? And just get serious with God and let him know, I'm on board with you.